This is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. Find all my work at mjmunoz.com. This is my Ultraman Zet review, which I'm calling Ultra Guilt. This episode of Ultraman Zet features self-doubt, bioweapons, and the best robot fight yet. And uh, I think this episode made me fall in love with the show. And I will tell you all about that as I go through the different things, the different topics that I picked to uh, speak on. Starting off with Pilot's Burden. So, Yoko and Haruki have this very interesting interaction while they're waiting for... Uh, gosh, what's this guy's name? Oh, uh, Grigio Raiden to come back. For Rigi- <laughs> They're waiting for Grigio Raiden to strike back so they can defend against him and protect people from him, right? And they have this super interesting conversation where Yoko comes up to Haruki and, and breaks the ice and talks to him and says, Hey, uh, you know, you're planning on doing this, that, whatever. And he says, Is it really justice to kill Kaiju? And she says, You know what? It's not fair that Kaiju are in this world the way they are, but I've decided to take upon myself the responsibility of taking a life of a kaiju, of taking a life in general to stop somebody, whether it's a little somebody or a big somebody, I guess, from hurting people the way that kaiju can, the way that kaiju do. And I thought that was really interesting because it's not only the burden of a mech pilot in this fictional world, but it would be the burden of, let's say, like a police officer or somebody in the military, you know, fighting in war, in a volunteer war, as opposed to like a drafted war, right? Um, I'm sure you see the distinction between those things, where you're taking upon yourself the responsibility of, and the burden of killing somebody, because you feel like you're justified in killing them in order to save others and not that you would wish that everybody would kill them uh because you know it's a difficult thing it it shows like a maturity and an honor and a respect for the fact that killing somebody or something ending the life of something is not easy and it's not something that weighs an insignificant amount on a person so if you can avoid if you can volunteer and step up to do that for other people there's some nobility in that Um, for some reason that's making me think about the fact that today, people who eat meat, uh, which I am one of, we don't have the responsibility for taking the life of the animals that we choose to eat the flesh of, and that's probably not a good thing, because it disconnects us from them in a certain way that might, uh, you know, be less than healthy for us as a species, but I'm not going to get distracted talking about that. I'm going to go ahead and talk about this issue of kaiju, which... Yoko says that kaiju aren't meant for this world, aren't meant to be in this world, and I don't know if the cosmology, I would assume this is what it is, the cosmology of Ultraman, uh, or the Ultraman universe, is that aliens, kaiju, humans all evolved at different times, and it's an accident of evolution, I guess, that humans evolved on Earth long after kaiju did. Um, I don't If that's the case, I don't understand how kaiju can be a a a fundamental part of the ecology because it just doesn't make sense with how large they are, with how much they would need to eat, with 
the amount of territory that they would have to use. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Even there's only a dozen kaiju per Ultraman show, and they're all in a different universe. I guess a dozen, two dozen, I meant. Uh, if there's roughly 24 episodes, I guess that makes sense to some extent, but it just doesn't seem right. Maybe like one kaiju per uh, continent, but then again, we see you know two red kings here, and there was the red kings. There was the guy up in the mountains who had the the allergy. I can't remember who that was now. Um, to you know, he had hay fever just like Haruki. So it was like, it just doesn't make sense. And I think my my bigger problem with, and I'm glad I'm getting distracted and talking about this because I have another thing to say about them, uh, is that like, why do they have to be that big? Like you can't have them be twenty feet tall or a hundred feet tall. I guess. The idea, if you made them too small, is that you wouldn't need Ultraman, this unearthly force, to defeat them. But then again, we do see in this episode that King Joe is able, to, you know, storage custom, is able to defeat uh, Grigio Raiden on his own. And that's kind of interesting. It doesn't make sense for the world to necessitate that Ultraman has to take care of the kaiju on Earth. And... In some ways, I can appreciate, then, storage doing what they're doing with their robots, and I like it, and it makes sense, but where the show is going, I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure that it's all 100% internally consistent. Uh, I like it, I've seen the whole show before, and I liked it then, and I'm sure I'll like it now, and I've, I've been enjoying it, with the exception of a little bit uh, being tired of some stuff in episodes like 9 and 10 repeating themselves, but, yeah, I don't know what more to say on that. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably get into the, the other issue later, so, uh, Grigio Raiden is the seat of Storage's robots, which I find very interesting. It also kind of doesn't make sense, I, I understand that... Somehow, in response to and as a result of having access to Grigio Raiden, Storage was able to build the Sevenger, 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 the Sevenger and uh, Wyndham robots. That makes sense. Uh, I believe they are a reference to Ultra Seven, and in Ultra Seven, they were actually kaiju that uh, Dan. Was it, was it Dan Marabushi or not? I don't remember. I think it was. Had in capsules, uh, kind of like Pokemon, and he would release them and use them for fighting, I guess. But he would also turn into Ultra 7, so maybe they would tag team bigger kaiju threats or more powerful threats or something like that. Anyway, uh, that's interesting. And, you know, is it possible that there's some sort of, like, real deep-cut lore nugget here that I'm missing that, like, the idea is that uh, since there's genetic tampering that's been done with Grigio Raiden, and uh, he, you know, was... They were seeking to turn him into a bioweapon that maybe they, I don't know, cloned parts of him, and kind of like in Evangelion, there's, you know, a biomass, there's an actual living creature uh, with a body inside of the mecha, and all the metal on it is just armor plating put on top of it to restrain it or whatever. Like, is that what they're going for? Because if they are, that that's super metal, and, uh, like, a crazy cool idea... But also, it kind of raises the issue again of, like, you know, kaiju autonomy and uh, rights and... I don't know. Let's just, like, are these, like, 
terrible people abusing these animals, uh, essentially? Or do, like, kaiju have such sophisticated uh, sentience that, you know, they could be asked to cooperate with people? I, I don't know. It's just, it's really weird. But then again, uh, you know, I haven't seen Ultra 7, so maybe it's handled, like, equally weird in that, where he's just kind of, like, you know, capturing these mindless monsters and making them do his bidding. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I, I find that a very interesting concept. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I'm raising kind of moral issues with uh, some of what's going on with storage. And <laughs> there's a big moral issue, I think, with Yuka. I don't mind her collecting kaiju body parts. And she brought out that, you know, Grigio skin sample or Grigio Raiden skin sample in this episode. And that was gross. And it made it for a real great, funny, uh, you know, freak out moment from the characters, you know, being grossed out by this, like, stinking hunk of kaiju flesh or whatever that she slapped on the table gleefully. Um, but she was really excited about the idea of it being a kaiju bioweapon that had been genetically engineered or, you know, engineered by human hands. And that doesn't really seem to fit her character. I know she said she wanted to, like... Did she say dissect or vivisect? Uh... Mr. Alien Spiky Juggler. I, I don't remember. So, like, I don't know. She's definitely out there, and she's outlandish as a character, but being outlandish as a character doesn't seem to equate to her wanting to just go ahead and uh, be okay with or approve of a kaiju bioweapon being forged by humans. I don't, that just doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't make sense to me. Like, if you like having a real shark tooth necklace because you think sharks are really awesome animals, does that stand to reason that you'd like want to personally cut up a shark yourself? I mean, going back to what I said earlier about how, you know, maybe you should kill a thing yourself if you're going to eat it, uh, then you would say, yes, you definitely should do that. But like shark's teeth can be recovered through non-lethal means. Uh, you know, uh, a skin sample can be obtained through non-lethal means. A uh, horn sample could be obtained through non-lethal means. So, like, is Yuka just a psychopath who's into killing kaiju and, like, manipulating their bodies like a like an evil mad scientist with no regard for what it does to them, or what? Because that, that definitely seems kind of odd. And it's something that's a problem for me. Uh, but, I don't know, I guess the rest of the show and the rest of everything going on around it is so much stronger than that quibble that I'm not going to say, oh, this is a terrible show and I reject it and we should cancel Ultraman Z and all this stuff because that doesn't make any sense. But anyway, it's just just kind of odd. Yeah. Very odd. So, you know, last episode, I posited that Haruki killed his father or felt very much as if he killed his father when he killed the, uh, the Red King dad just trying to protect his egg and his, you know, mate. And... Uh, we, I think we saw his transformation break. Oh yeah, he, he lost his energy. In this episode, we see it again, where in a much more dramatic fashion, he loses his ability to do the Zestium Beam, and then he his transformation, uh, like, devolves, and it's just vanilla Zet up there, giant, uh, but without the, uh, you know, Alpha Edge or any of the other, I guess, Ultra Fusion type things, you know, sustaining him. And he disappears, and, uh, you know, it's pretty dramatic. And, you know, he's got this colossal dysfunction where he can't keep up the status of being, you know, colossal or titanic or, you know, kaiju size because of how emotional he is over everything. Uh, 
you know everything that he's done and uh, how it reminds him of his father. And I got to say, it reminds this moment reminds me a lot of in uh, Giver, which I watched in the '90s because it was available then in the '90s from ADV Films. Uh, <laughs> uh, ADV, <laughs> or was it manga? No, it was manga entertainment. That's right, manga entertainment. Of course, that's what they call their anime company, which is hilarious. I wonder if they started off translating manga and then moved on to anime. I don't know. I don't know the history of, of manga. Anyway, uh, but in it, the titular character, Shofukamachi, is seriously injured in his alien bio suit, which I believe the more I've looked at it, the more I've thought about it, the more I've become exposed to Tokusatsu, I'm pretty sure the gentleman who was... The, or who is the, the creator of Guyver. I kind of think it's still ongoing, but I don't know. i got to verify that. Um, was a fan of Ultraman and Kamen Rider and decided to blend them into one weird amalgam, and we got the beautiful and deadly and violent uh, Guyver. And uh, anyway, there's even a guy in it who... Well, anyway, whatever. I, I don't want to get too distracted. But uh, at one point show, the Guyver, uh, Guyver 1, uh, the titular hero gets his brain damaged uh, as in like I think it completely gets destroyed so his armor takes over and defends him because it's they're a symbiotic they have it's a symbiote basically or they're in a symbiotic relationship and it has its own life force and mentality and protocols or whatever and it deals death upon uh, somebody in dramatic fashion and Sho is regretful of that and he can't quite remember what happened and when he eventually does remember what happened, he loses the ability to transform into Giver until he's able to forgive himself and move on from there. And I love that in Giver, and I'm loving that in Zet here. And I think it's really fantastic and beautiful, and I, I like that it's talking about... I like that it's touching on, like, I don't know, the cost of being somebody who kills the cost of you know that whole pilot's burden thing but beyond that like this moral question and this moral quandary and you know i get that yoko doesn't have that same moral quandary because she's already come to terms with that but haruki i think he's so i don't know naive and gentle that he wants to save everybody and has to struggle with the fact that you can't save everybody no matter how hard you try and unfortunately saving you know thousands of people, hundreds of people means you have to kill one kaiju or, you know, dozens of kaiju over, you know, dozens of kaiju, you're saving thousands or tens of thousands of lives easily. Um, and it's just, it's really interesting. And I am struggling to remember how exactly this gets resolved. And I wonder what it'll be like, but it definitely reminds me of that, that story beat in Giver. And that was something I loved in that show. And it was really novel to me and uh, very interesting, very desperate. It definitely ratcheted up the tension. And it even made for a sweet, um, I don't know, moment of realization, a moment of resolve when Sho was able to move on from that. And uh, golly, yeah, I really like that. I really like that. Uh, let's see. So, okay, Yoko's piloting is peak performance. So not only, man, oh, not only does Yoko... Like she's like she's a better pilot than Haruki, right? But she's totally mastered that uh, <laughs> the united and separated forms of King Joe Storage Custom, and it is astonishing to see her operate that thing 
in four separate parts and it appears that she does it all in voice command i don't know if there's some sort of other control that she's using as well within her cockpit in the what i i think she's in the breast cannon the breast tank um but yeah i think that's the or maybe she's in the head either she's in the head of the breast but either way um it's head breast legs and i can't remember what the fourth part is but like man that was insane to see how she piloted that thing how she used it to like totally dominate uh Grigio Raiden, and then at the end, when all was lost, when Haruki couldn't maintain his transformation anymore, and she had to save him and, you know, save, uh, well, Zet was kind of out of there, so she just did what she had to do, and when she, you know, fought and, and just broke through all the defenses of Grigio Raiden to, to kill it, that was amazing, it was astonishing. I, I noticed, though, so, I mean, just incredible piloting. It was super cool, and I really liked seeing it. And uh, at the end of it, when he was still exploding, she was basically, like, wreathed in flame and had flame as a background. She was standing in front of flame, and it was uh, just an interesting background image because and in that moment, uh, King Joe looked really evil. Like, like, this is a weapon of war, you know? This is a weapon, and weapons are made to kill people. And as much as I wish that wasn't so, and I could believe in... Uh, Miss Masao's sweet and naive talk uh, it's true that weapons are designed to kill and I mean that's what that that's what King Joe did and that's what she did very effectively but I mean how many more people were going to die from this kaiju so I understand it it's just I don't know man it just you shouldn't like war you shouldn't like killing and I think this show gets that across very well and especially uh, I'm going to loop back to Haruki in a second but um, I love that this is an aside. I love that Yoko's first concern once the battle's over and she's kind of like, you know, cooled down is where's Haruki? It reminds me, honestly, and I thought this was brilliant writing at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Spoilers for, a, I don't know, 2005, whatever. Old movie, almost 20 year old movie uh, that when Vader wake up, wakes up and Anakin wakes up in the Vader suit, when Padme wakes up, he asks, where's Padme? And she asks, where's Anakin? And it's just heartbreakingly cruel that these two uh, were together and separated and have concern for each other despite everything that happened and despite their last conscious, conscious moments of interaction with each other. It's just ugh, awful, diabolical. Palpatine is, Sidious is a monster. Anyway, um, so I love that, Har uh, that Haruki's the first thing on her mind after she's you know come down from the heat of battle and it made me feel like she was fighting for him to save him. Like, you know, saving everybody else is great. Saving the world is great. But, you know, there's this, uh, I think it's a Joseph Song quote that like, you know, you know, five dead people is a tragedy or, you know, one dead person is a tragedy and, you know, a thousand dead people is a, is a statistic. Like it becomes, the number is numbing to the human mind. The human mind can't really grasp that many people dying and really register it in a way that it matters. So it feels like perhaps Yoko was fighting to save Haruki in that moment. That's what had her motivated. That's what had her putting uh, King Joe to its limits and coming out with the win uh, in such an impressive uh, display. Uh, but anyway, when she asks how he is, the camera goes to him and we see him collapsing, falling from, you know, being Ultraman to just being a man a broken man and he gets up and screams because that's all he can do and gosh it's like the the fragility 
and the vulnerability of Harkey, honestly, I think is what it's not what kept keeps me going watching Z or Zet, whatever, but it's like definitely a part of the charm of the show. Like his actor does a really great performance and he really seems like a genuinely good guy who really cares, who wants to do his best and who's struggling to do that. And just seeing him go through all these ups and downs, it's really awesome. And it makes sense that like Hebikura and Yoko and Yuka and everybody else is like much more well-defined. Like they're already like past a lot of their crises for the most part. You know, this is, you'll see a little bit more with them as, as you know, the episodes go on. Um, but they're like, you know, 90% of the way done. And, uh, you know, maybe he's 30% of the way there to harken back to Zero calling Zed a one-third hero. And, gosh, having him be that way and getting to see so much of his development and his journey and him questioning things, questioning himself, questioning what he's doing, is so enjoyable. And it gives such a wonderful, humane, loving heart to this show that just makes me love it. And... Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, what you think about what I think about it, and just what you think about it in general. Uh, I asked some questions and I brought up some stuff that you might want to chime in on, and you can do that by commenting on the blog. Go to mjmunios.com and you can find this episode and just leave a comment there. Uh, I would appreciate hearing from you, and I'm sure you'd appreciate uh, having the interaction, having the chance to have the conversation about this awesome show that we both enjoy so much. So anyway, check that out and, uh, or, you know, go ahead and leave your comments, but also check out my Ultraman inspired children's picture book, uh, which has a draft draft 1.9 of Ava and the grow bug there on the website. It's in the show notes as well in any of your pod feeders, pod readers. Uh, it'll be there for you to check out and enjoy. And I have a new version of it that will go up soonish. Um, that is a expanded, uh, improved worked on version of that story which is even better, which I uh, am working to get illustrations done for so that I can get it published and release it out there to the wide world uh, for other people who are like me, who enjoy Tokusatsu, enjoy Ultraman, who have kids and who want to share an awesome Ultraman and Tokusatsu-inspired story with their youngins. Anyway, uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. This is MJ signing out. I hope you enjoyed that. Go to mjmunoz.com to leave any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. There you can find all of my analysis, art, and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime, and more. Look around, you're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.